At some point in your faith journey, you've been where Emily is. You face the fact that some changes are needed, you've decided to make a clean break with the past, and you set out with good intentions, with determination, and then, well, then that's when things get interesting. Because no matter how good our intentions are, good intentions are never quite enough. It's not enough for me to intend to eat healthier in 2024 because when there is pizza at staff meeting on Mondays, man, those intentions go right out the door. It's not enough for you to intend to have healthier financial habits this year because when there's a sale on President's Day, swiping that card is so easy and those good intentions go right out the door again. And it's not enough for us as God's people to intend to be better Christians because those good intentions will not carry us. We talked about this last week. We talked about how we can intend to do things better in our faith in this year. And yet we often just end up going through the motions while our thoughts and our focus, our attention are not placed on God himself. Last week, we talked about how faith is a relationship, but that our habit instead is, is to just do these things, to go through the motions. And our big idea last week was this, God wants your attention more than he wants your activity. Now, our big idea for today is this, faith is about seeking God's presence. Faith is about seeking God's presence. I've been getting breakfast with one of our young adults off and on for a few months now, and back in November I asked him, hey, what's good in your faith story? And he thought about it for uh, about a week, and he came back, and he said, what's good in my faith story is my community of friends. For those of you with close friends, you, you know how this is. Back when Jamie and I were in college, we had a couple other sets of couples that we were so close with, and so we spent all of our free time we ate meals together, we went to class together, we went on trips together. Anytime that we were not together, we were trying to figure out ways to get back and, and hang out. It didn't really matter so much what we were doing, we just wanted to be together. And so if you're a student or young adult, you know how this is. Your life revolves around your friends. When you're with them, it's the place you want to be. And when you're not with them, you're devising ways to get back to hang out with them. And you're thinking about all the fun they're having without you. In any tight relationship, you want to spend time together. You want to be where your people are. And so when you're not, you know, if you're at class, you daydream about what you're going to do when you're out of class. If you're at work, you can't wait to clock out so you can go catch up with your friends and see what they've been doing. And even when you're in church on Sundays, you might be thinking about what's happening after church when you get back with your people. This is how close relationships work. And I, I know for some of us, those kinds of close friendships are in the past but even think about that. In many cases, what divided those friendships? What created the distance? It's because you moved or you got a new job or kids were born or something changed and you no longer had the time to spend in one another's presence. That disconnection was because of a lack of quality time. Now, what's true in our relationships with human beings is often, not always, but often true for our relationship with God. And I think in this instance, it definitely is true. If you are a follower of Jesus, you should want to spend time in his presence. He should be the, the person that you're thinking about, the one that you want to devise ways to get back into his presence, the focus of your life. 
Your relationship with him should be as deep as a close personal friendship. But this is where those good intentions come back into play. Because that can be our intention. And we may intend to seek God's presence. But I think for many of us, if we're honest, our faith doesn't feel that way. Instead of of faith becoming something, instead of faith being something that we're becoming, faith ends up just being something that we do. And our connection to God becomes a a task list to maintain instead of a relationship to enjoy. Now, Scripture has some things to say about this, and and I think when we want to, to figure out what we should be like, we should often turn to Scripture and see the examples that God gives. And so Psalm 84 is where we're going to be today, and it's the psalm of somebody who wants to be in God's presence. Turn with me there, Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies! I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, my body, and my soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow builds her nest and raises her young. At a place near your altar, O Lord of heaven's armies, my King and my God. What joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. In Old Testament times, God's people would make these pilgrimages up to Jerusalem, to the temple, and they were commanded to do so in the Torah. We read that last fall. There were three times a year, the the feast of the Passover and the festival of booths and the festival of, uh, of weeks. And over time, psalms like this one, Psalm 84, would be kind of the soundtrack to that. The, the pilgrims would head up to Jerusalem and they would sing these psalms on their journey. And that makes me think of like the road trips that I took when I was a kid. And, and uh, mom and my sister and I would hop in the car. We would go to my aunt's on Thanksgiving. And on the way up, we would have mom put in this tape that she begrudgingly, I'm sure, put into the tape deck. And, uh, and, and the words of these songs are just seared into my consciousness, <laughs> for better or for worse. And so I, we, would, we would drive up there, and the one song was about uh, how long is it going to take there to get to you know, where we're going on this road trip? And the lyrics were soon. They keep saying it's soon. It'll be sometime next June. I'll have gray hair. I'll be in Medicare by the time they stop saying it's soon. I remember this from so many years ago because this was our soundtrack on this trip. And then we would drive six hours to my aunt's house in Alpena and we would get there and there was so much anticipation and joy because we were finally in this place where our loved ones were. And we spent so much time together. It was so fun. And then the end of the weekend would come and we'd hop back in the Jeep and we'd start driving away, and there was this, this sense of regret, a sense of, of longing to be back at my aunt's house because that's where our people were. And that's the kind of feeling that's being conveyed in this song. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. And that longing, was it because of the splendor of the temple, or was it because of the energy of the crowds? Well, maybe on... on so on, on one hand, to some extent, you know, for me going to Aunt Carolyn's house, she had a great house on a lake in the woods. It was beautiful. But really for me going there, it was about being with Aunt Carolyn and my cousin Jess. And for the psalmist here, it's the same way. All of that stuff is secondary. The psalmist wants to be in God's presence. And what a blessing it was to enter God's temple, the space where God was. Verse 5 continues on. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord. 
who set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessing. They will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. Now, God's people today are no longer expected to make these pilgrimages, and and God hasn't necessarily designated any spaces more holy than any other on earth for us today. And yet, in many ways, our journey as, as God's people, our, our faith journey, is effectively a spiritual pilgrimage. It's a journey of discipleship away from the attitudes and behaviors of this world and into the presence of God. And so what was true for the Israelites journeying up to the Temple Mount is also true for us today. It's that God's strength sustains us, even in those ups and downs of life. I don't know if you know this or not, but coming to faith in Jesus and becoming a Christian, it's no guarantee of ease or success or comfort. Jesus himself says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so, For us today, as it was for the Israelites back then, journeying on this pilgrimage, it's God's strength that sustains us, and God's spirit that goes with us, and the encouragement of knowing that Jesus has gone before us. And as God's strength carries us, even through moments like the the psalm mentions here, moments of walking through the valley of weeping, as you remain in God's presence, you'll find his strength is is carrying you. Verse 8, O Lord of heaven's armies, hear my prayer. Listen, O God of Jacob, O God, look with favor upon the king, our shield, show favor to the one you have anointed. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield, and he gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. One of the striking features of this psalm is the fact that God is referred to as the Lord of heaven's armies, or perhaps in your translation, the Lord Almighty or the Lord of hosts. The picture here is this commander of overwhelming forces, which is not necessarily the figure that you would naturally think to turn to for comfort or long to be with. An army general, someone who's stern and daunting and imposing, and while it's true that the enemies of God should be terrified by his power and his might, even his goodness, for you and me, we've been called daughters and sons of God. We've given our lives to Jesus as the Lord of our life, and so God's presence, that incredibly intimidating presence, should be the most comforting thing for us. But there's definitely a contrast. There's, it's, it, there's, a, there's a bit of a, a surprise in this psalm to see that it's the Lord of heaven's armies is the one that we are coming before and finding our longing to be with. But the, the psalmist here says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. This psalm is such an expression of trust in God and a a longing for his presence. And the author of this psalm gets it. He's not just checking off task lists in his faith routine. He's, He's not going through the motions of faith. No, he wants to be in God's presence. He wants to be where God is. 
He's like a, a kid who's flipping burgers at McDonald's, and he knows his friends are out there having the time of their lives, and his eyes are on the clock, and the seconds are ticking by, and he just cannot wait till he can clock out, hang up that apron, and go and find out what's going on with his friends and catch up with them. And that's the kind of desire that the psalm is, is conveying, and that kind of desire is, is really a consistent mark. It shows up all over the psalm. Psalm 27, verse 4, says this, One thing I ask, one thing I seek, it's to, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Or how about Psalm 42? As the deer longs for streams of water, so my soul longs after you. These are striking statements. The one thing that the psalmist wants in Psalm 27 is to be in God's presence. And the deer, and this probably should go without saying, but the deer without water, the deer is not going to be able to live. Being in God's presence is that essential for these psalmists. The desire to be in God's presence is, is a pretty consistent mark, a pretty consistent heartbeat of the psalms. There's longing, there's need, there's a recognition that God's presence is essential. This is the picture that we're seeing develop in the psalms. But I'm not so sure it's the picture that we are experiencing in our own lives. Because I think our practices of faith too often seem, tend to be checking these boxes, going through these routines, making sure we're getting our disciplines in because we want to be disciplined. We're hoping that our activity in some way may appease God or make him look upon us favorably. Maybe we're looking for self-improvement and we think if we just read the Bible finally for the first time all the way through this year, then we will be a better person. Or if we just pray three times a day, then we will be better Christians and things will be better for us. But that's not the point at all. The point of our faith is to be in God's presence. The point is relationship, but we've made it a list. Now the problem with list making, and lists are generally okay, right? There's nothing good or bad about a list. I made a a list last night because I'm going to Menards at some point this week, and I need to pick up some things for my house. Lists are not inherently bad, but when it comes to faith... The problem with list making is it becomes very me-centric. Did I fast enough times this month? Did I serve enough? Did I give enough? Did I pray enough times today? Did I read and accomplish my reading goal? The last time I checked, faith was supposed to be less me-centric and more God-focused. So what do we do? Because we are people who consistently are looking for steps to take. We want to know how to be better followers of Jesus. We want to know how to follow God more faithfully. And what we do is distill that into a list and a series of steps. And then we go through these motions. So how can we get beyond that? How can we seek God's presence? Well, last week we began this journey and we began this discussion. And we challenged you. We talked about how God desires your attention more than he he wants your activity. And we challenge you to go home and and consider what is capturing your attention. What's distracting you? And so I hope you took us up on that. I hope you spent some time this week reflecting on that. What has been capturing your attention when you're sitting down to pray or to read? What's taking your thoughts away from God? For me, I reflected on it this week, and it is most definitely, this should be a surprise to no one, It's most definitely my projects, the things that I'm doing at home, in my yard, in my house, remodeling, gardening, working on the fruit trees, that that kind of thing. 
I accomplish some stuff at night, and I sit down the next morning to spend time with God, and instead of having my mind on God as I read, my mind is on what I just did last night and what I might accomplish this next evening after work. And so these are the kinds of things that capture my attention. I hope you took some time to also figure out what's been capturing your attention because it gives you a chance to, to recognize when, when your attention is drifting. And, and I, hope, I hope that maybe you'll share that with your, your church family this morning. I hope that as we continue on in what we're doing that you share what God is teaching you because church is not something we go to. Church is something that we are and we participate in and, and we need to hear from one another how God is teaching us and growing us. And so if you can identify, if you thought about what's been capturing your attention, find a brother or sister to share that with this morning. Now, as for today, I think the next steps, we've, ta- we've thought about what's taking our attention away from God. The next steps in seeking God's presence, well, some recommendations at least can be found right here in Psalm 84. You might have missed them, but there are three Beatitudes in this psalm. And we think of Beatitudes, and we think of uh, a Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful. But Beatitudes are just these short statements uh, uh, in Scripture, and they, they certainly occur in, in Matthew, and they occur in Jesus' teaching, but they occur elsewhere in Scripture. They occur in Psalm 84, and, and Beatitudes, they, they can both be a statement of fact, but they can also be kind of a guidepost. And so, blessed are the merciful, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall see God. The guidepost there being mercy. We should show mercy to one another. Well, here in Psalm 84, the first, the first beatitude is this, verse 4. What joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. I feel like the NIV or maybe your other Bibles render this a little bit more, uh, a little better for recognizing the beatitude. And so the NIV, this says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. The guidepost being here, dwelling with God. How are you dwelling with God? Researchers tell us that there's this 11-3-6 rule for making friendships. I just found this out last fall. 11-3-6. So to make a friend, it apparently requires 11 different encounters that are each three hours long over the course of six months for someone to go from being an acquaintance to a friend. And that sounds like a lot. It's because it is. It works out to an average of an hour and ten minutes every week for six months that you're giving some attention you're in this person's space I wonder how many of us are giving God less than an hour and ten minutes of our attention per week and you might say I've shown up to church so I got my hour in check But when you showed up to church, how much of your attention has really been on God this morning? Or how much has been on, did you like the coffee or did you not like the coffee? How much of it has been on catching up with your friends? How much of it has been on, uh, you know, thinking about the worship and was that a song you liked or not? And how much of it was on, well, Walter's kind of boring and so I'm going to be on Facebook. How much of your attention has been on God this morning? How many of us are giving God less than an hour and 10 minutes of our attention per week? What are you doing to live more fully in God's presence every day? How are you dwelling in God's presence? Not as an attempt to check another thing off your list, 
but as an, an intentional moment to grow your relationship. And so perhaps for you, dwelling with God means reading through the Bible in a year. That's great. We highly recommend that. But perhaps for someone else, dwelling with God means going throughout your day and having this constant dialogue where you're talking to God and hearing back from Him, not just a moment at the beginning of the day or a moment at the end of the day, but this constant conversation. Or perhaps for you, dwelling with God means being aware of His presence, His attention on you, and so that He knows what you're up to and what you're doing, and, and that affects how, you're li- how you live. How are you dwelling with God? And then how can you dwell there more in His presence? The second beatitude in Psalm 84 is this. Verse, verse 5. Helps if I'm on the right psalm. Verse 5. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. In the NIV this reads, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose minds are set on pilgrimage. And so my question for you from this one, the guidepost here is, is how are you finding your strength in God? You know, the pilgrims heading up to Jerusalem, singing this psalm and others, they faced a daunting challenge, or a daunting journey. The road could have been long for them. They were probably walking. Custom expected that pilgrims who could walk would walk into Jerusalem. They could end up on the wrong path if it was a long way away. The weather might have not have cooperated. It could have been dusty. They had to carry their supplies with them. There could have been bandits. They needed God's strength to sustain them over the mountains and down in the valleys. And for us today, I think it's It's very much the same. We need God's strength to sustain us. If our faith is a spiritual pilgrimage away from the attitudes and behaviors of this world and into God's presence, then we need God's help if we're going to to be willing to make changes, to have tough conversations, to see God's Holy Spirit grow his fruit in our lives. And so my question for you is, how are you relying on God's strength And how can you rely on God's strength even more so? And then finally, our last beatitude for the day is here in verse 12. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. In the NIV, it's blessed. Blessed is the one who trusts in you, Lord Almighty. How are you trusting in God? Have you been trusting in God? How can you trust God more fully? What are you doing to give up on your need to control, on your desires to find security in what you have and who you are, your plans of self-sufficiency, and how are you choosing to instead allow God to be the one in whom you find ultimately ultimate security? Are you willing to trust God enough to go where he sends you, to do what he wants you to do, to say what he wants you to say? I think each of these, these three things, dwelling with God, finding your strength in God, and trusting Him will, will have the effect of pulling you deeper into this relationship. And what you find in most relationships, and what you'll find here in this relationship with God, is, is that the more time that you spend in God's presence, the more you'll find yourself wanting to be in God's presence. And those spiritual disciplines, and we say spiritual disciplines, and we get shivers down our spines because they sound like pain. Those spiritual disciplines will actually become the habits of love as you want to do these things to, again, spend more time with your God because you love him. That's what a vibrant faith 
looks like because faith is seeking God's presence. Hey, as we move on to what's next this morning, I want to say two things. I don't want you to get discouraged if you're not there yet. If you read this psalm and think, this doesn't sound like my faith journey, don't get discouraged because we are all coming from different backgrounds, coming from different places in our faith story. We have different personalities and different gifts from God, and, and we have not all arrived. None of us have arrived this side of heaven. And so if you read this picture and you're like, man, I don't feel that yet. I don't think that way yet. Well, that could be in your future. It can be in your future as you take steps toward God. Jesus meets us where we are. We said this last week, but he doesn't leave us there. He's always calling us to take another step. And so don't get discouraged. And the other thing I would say is, is we're talking a lot about how, how faith is giving, our, giving God our attention, how faith is being in God's presence, and, and we've talked maybe a little disparagingly about spiritual disciplines, but don't get the wrong idea about spiritual disciplines. They are essential for a healthy, vibrant faith journey. And I think the routines that we can get into, when we start doing these things mindfully, with our attention on God, these routines and habits of faith can be what builds a foundation for a faith that's resilient and endures. So just remember why you're doing these things. Not to make yourself into a super Christian, not so that you can accomplish one more thing, not so that you can follow routine for routine's sake, but because you love Jesus, because you want to know him more, and because faith is about seeking God's presence. Would you join me in prayer this morning? God, we're here and we are your people and we love you and we want to know you better. We want to be your people. Jesus, we're so thankful for your sacrifice that makes us right with God, that we can come before God's throne. We can have this restored relationship. And so, Father, I pray for those in our congregation who are just at the beginning of this or even unsure that you would spark some curiosity in them, that they would be drawn toward you. God, I pray for those here who are a little farther along that we would recognize the ways in which we need to seek you, your kingdom above all other things. And God, for those of us who are well down this road, help us to be, help us to be people who encourage one another, who can live our faith as an example or drawn closer into your presence. God, bring us into your presence today, here, and this week as we go out from this place. Help us to live in your presence. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At this point in our service, we respond to God, and we'll do that in worship. Worship as we give back in our moment of generosity in a little bit. Worship as we sing songs to God, giving him our attention, being in God's presence together. And worship as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And in about one minute here, because I'm running out of time, I want to share with you, I had a really good conversation last week with someone who was here when we shared the Lord's Supper together. And she was concerned because we talk about Jesus' body and blood and what are we doing, this seems gruesome. So I want to I remind you of just why we share the Lord's Supper when we gather together as God's people. As God's people, we try to, to live our, our lives in ways that are most congruent, most in alignment with 
God's scriptures and the story of the New Testament. And in Luke chapter 22, Jesus shares this final Passover meal with his disciples. And this is what happens. Verse 14, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he said, take and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And then he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people in agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. As Jesus celebrated that Passover meal, it was a remembrance of God's covenant that was sealed with blood for for God's people in the Old Testament. And Jesus then says, hey, I am offering myself. My body is going to be broken for you. My blood poured out, sealing this new covenant between God and his people. And Jesus tells his followers to do this to remember him. And so when we gather at these tables around the room and we take that bread that reminds us that Jesus' body was broken, we take that juice, it reminds us that Jesus' blood was poured out for us, and we do this to remember what Jesus has done. And so will you stand and join us in worship this morning and then join us at the table as well?